and I hope you've got a, an outline that'll uh, let you know where we're going, but <coughs> also uh, provides um, you with a place to jot down some things. We don't uh, remember everything we hear, and uh, if we write some things down, that'll help us to recall that, those things, and sometimes... Uh, Things make a lot more sense when they come off the end of our pen. And uh, so I hope uh, you can make some good use of the outline this evening. Um, now that you're open in Hebrews 11, just leave a bookmark there and let's turn over to Romans chapter 4 just for a moment. Romans chapter 4. We'll be back in Hebrews 11 very soon. <clears throat> but if, if we ask the question, what has God done to save us from our sins? We ask the question, what has God done to save us from our sin? The answer is found in Romans 4, verse 25. Romans 4, 25 tells that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, who was delivered for our offence. He, he, he was delivered up to death. He, he went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins, for our offences, and rose again for our justification. He rose again so that our sinful selves could be declared righteous. This is what God has done to save us from our sins. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be declared righteous. Now, if we ask the question, how do we receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of righteousness? How do we receive forgiveness for our offences and the gift of justification? The answer to that question is in the very next verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, being declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So these verses tell us two things. What God has done to save us, that is, he's given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again. And the other question is, what do we have to do in order to be saved? That is, we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who God gave to die upon the cross and rose again. Now, both of those things are summarised in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, by the grace of God, who gave us Jesus Christ, died on the cross, rose again. By the grace of God, we're saved through faith. We're justified by our faith in Jesus and Jesus saves us and keeps us saved for all eternity. One day we will see him, but for now and until then, God wants us to walk by faith. Can't see Jesus yet, we haven't reached heaven yet. For now, we have to walk by faith. We're justified by faith, now we have to walk by faith. And Hebrews 11 is a great help in understanding what that means. So let's go back now to. Hebrews chapter 11. Last time we were in Hebrews 11, that's last Sunday morning. Our particular focus was on verses 4, Hebrews 11, 4 to 7, where in that passage we're introduced to three Old Testament characters who were people of faith. And uh, they did certain things because of their faith. Because they, their faith motivated them to do certain things and the message for us last time was very very clear and that is if we are people of faith if we are people who walk by faith then our faith will also find expression in the same three things 
So here's a bit of a, a test for us, a standard by which we can examine ourselves. If we are people of faith, then, like Abel, we will worship God. We'll worship God even when it's costly. And so we ask the question, people of faith, you know, what cost has been involved in our worship? What price? What price by, in respect to time and energy and money and preparation, self-denial, what cost, what price have we paid for our worship, to worship God? <clears throat> if we are people of faith, people who walk by faith, then, like Enoch, who was a man of faith, we will walk with God. We will walk with God even when nobody else does. And so I ask the question, is that true of you, that you stand out from the crowd because what you believe of the truth of God's word about what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is proper, what is true, what is a lie. You walk with God in fellowship with God, walking this way and not that way because you want to stay in fellowship and doing this, these things because these help you to stay in fellowship with the Lord. Thirdly, if we are people of faith who walk with God, then like Noah, we'll work for God, even when it seems futile. Do you keep at it and at it and at it and at it and at it? You keep showing up, you keep putting in, keep praying, even though you're tempted to look at all say, what's the use? Even though you're tempted to grow weary in well-doing, Yet you believe the promise of God's word that there will be a reaping of the seed which is sown ultimately in due season. And so we keep going day after day and month after month and year after year. That was last week. Tonight I want us to start with Noah in verse 7 and take the portion from verse 7 to verse 13 and consider the several Old Testament characters mentioned there who illustrate what it means to live by faith. In verse 7, Noah trusts God and builds an ark. Verse 8, Abraham trusts God and leaves his homeland. Verses 9 and 10, Abraham trusts God again and lives in tents instead of building a city. And in verses 11 and 12, Sarah trusts God and conceives when she is old. Now in these verses and these three characters, four Old Testament illustrations, we can identify four elements of the life of faith. How does faith look? How does it live? Well, four things, there are four things here against which we can again examine our, our own walk of faith. Are these things in my life? Is this the way that I live? So here's the first one. In every life of faith, the word of God has been heard. In every life of faith, the word of God has been heard. That, that becomes the foundation upon our, which our faith rests. The, the word of God which we have heard and believed. 
Verse 6 tells us that God is. God exists. And uh, Genesis 1, and God said, okay? okay? The same thing here. God has spoken. God has given his word. God has made certain promises. And people of faith believe that God is good enough and he's strong enough and he's wise enough to make those things happen. He's true to his word and we bank on those promises. Now let me show you where I get that from. I could have got that from Romans 10, 17. Um, so then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Could have got that from Romans 10, 17, but we don't even need to go to Romans 10, 17 because it's here in the text here, Hebrews 11. Firstly, verse 7 says, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. God spoke to Noah. God gave a warning to Noah. Noah heard the word of God. Noah heard what God had said. He heeded the warning of God's word. He believed the word of God, even though that word contained, concerned things not seen as yet. He couldn't relate to those things at all experientially, never, never seen anything like what God was saying, and yet he believed the word of God. He heard it and believed it. Secondly, in verse 8, it says that Abraham was called by God. God spoke to Abraham, called him, and Abraham heard the call. He heard the word of God. Thirdly, in verse 9, at the end of the verse, find Abraham living in tabernacles. He's living in tents because he's an heir of the promise. Last word in verse 9. God made Abraham a promise. He repeated it and renewed it to Isaac and to Jacob. They were heirs of the same promise. But God gave it to Abraham originally, a promise from the mouth of God, from the word of the word of God. Again, we have the word of God being heard. Fourthly, in verse 11, at the end of the verse, Sarah, what's she going to do? She's going to judge him faithful that promised. Last word of verse 11. So here we have the word of God again, a word containing a promise that Sarah deemed God faithful to fulfill. So there we have it. Noah is warned. Abraham is called. Abraham receives a promise. And then fourthly, there is also a promise made to Sarah. And in those four words from God, these are the things that those people stand upon. This is what they came to believe. This was the basis of of what they ended up doing with their lives. And they went forth and did it with confidence and with assurance because they have as their foundation for their action the, the word of God, the authority of God's word. God has spoken to them. This is what it means to live by faith. It means to hear the word of God that warns us and calls us and promises us and then, and then, having heard it, then to act upon it appropriately. You believe it is true. So the first thing is God. God exists, as it says in verse 6. God is. And God speaks. And when he speaks and he gives us his word, he is trustworthy. He is reliable. 
And now we have something to take hold of in life. We've got something solid under our feet as we move forward doing what we do. Theoretically, hypothetically, here's a witnessing situation. Let's think about it this way. A witnessing situation. An opportunity to be, to be an ambassador for Christ. It'll happen sometime tomorrow. Okay, Sometime tomorrow. Watch for it. There'll be an opportunity for us to be a witness for Christ, to testify concerning, concerning the saving power of Christ, the transforming power of the gospel. And yet we're nervous about speaking up. We don't know what's going to happen. Now at that point we have two choices. One is to choose the path of unbelief, and that is not to exercise any faith in God's word and do absolutely nothing. Or we can proceed by faith, putting our faith in the word of God, believing that it is true, which puts some solid foundation under our faltering feet and gives us the authority and the assurance to move forward in obedience to God. God spoken. Hebrews 4.19, God speaks, says, I can... The testimony is, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's the word of God. We can do that. We've, we've heard that. You've heard it tonight. Faith responds to that. The word of God says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's the word of God. We've all heard it again this evening. And the proper faith response to that is continued. Therefore, I'll boldly say, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I won't fear what people can do unto me. The word of God says, Isaiah 40 verse 31, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wing as eagles. They'll run, not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. That's the word of God. We've heard it again this evening. Are we, do we believe it? Okay, faith moves forward with the word of God. Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Faith begins with hearing the word of God. James 1 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him, God said. And we've heard it again this evening. Psalm 32 verse 8, I'll instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's the word of God. God has spoken. When God speaks, believers can stand. Believers can go forward. Believers can go as ambassadors for Christ into a tribal situation in Papua New Guinea or into a Hindu village in India. They can go. We can go to the, the front door of someone's house or we can go into the lunchroom tomorrow and initiate a conversation and steer people in the direction of John chapter 3, verse 16. When you've got the promises of God's word under your feet, when God has spoken and you have heard, you can move forward in obedience. That's what the life of faith is all about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So that's the first thing. In every life of faith, the word of God has been heard question are you are you hearing the word of god okay how's your life of faith 
Okay, let's go back to the, back to the very, very beginning of it, the first steps in it. Uh, are you hearing the word of God? Are you listening to God's word? You know, some, sometimes we, we don't hear the word of God because we don't, we don't open it Sunday to Sunday. Okay, we're not hearing the word of God at all. No wonder our faith walk is struggling. Uh, or maybe we are taking in the word of God, but we're also taking so many other noises, it just gets drowned out. It's a real issue. But hearing the word of God is vital to the life of faith. And this is why the challenge of the church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every church, if you've got ears to hear, listen to what the word of God says. Listen to what God is saying. It's vital to the life of faith. There's a second thing we find here. A second element in the life of faith. After hearing the word of God is the inner response to it. The inner response of faith. Now here we make a distinction between the inner and the outer. And I think this is very, very important for us to understand. You see, if we start with the outer response, oh, uh, Noah built an ark, or Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, or Abraham lived in tents, or Sarah had a child. If we start with the outward, if we don't understand, first of all, what's happening on the inward first, if we don't start with the inward first, you know what what you'll get or you might get? You might end up getting whited sepulchres, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, that is, mere performance, often something with very moral, usually very upright, everything proper, outwardly active, inwardly very, very dead, just like the people in Isaiah's day, going through all the outward ceremony. God says, I'm sick of your outward performance. That's not faith. If all you have is the outward. Look at verse 7. Notice the inward response of Noah before the outward act of building the ark. Verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an hour to the saving of his house. Moved with fear, moved by fear. The word fear there means reverence. In other words, his initial response, his inner response, was that of reverence to that word of God that he heard. His inner response to the word of God was to receive it with reverence. And in reverence to the word of God, he then went and built an ark. Brethren, when God speaks, we shut our mouths. We don't argue with God. We don't resist what he says. We don't criticize what he says. We don't defy it. We don't ignore it. We, as we remember this morning, we tremble at the word of God. We respond reverently. That's an inner thing. It's an attitude to be cultivated. Isaiah 66, 2. For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things which have been saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even him that is a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. 
Now, you might try to put on a reverent front when on the inside you're actually thinking about your holiday, you're thinking about the game, you're thinking about an activity, you're thinking about dinner plans to follow, thinking about something else good in itself, but it's not, got nothing to do with what's going on in that moment when we're here before the Lord in the house of God with his word and God is speaking Reverence is an inner response, first thing. We see another inner response at the end of verse 8, where it says that Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. Now we see in this expression another inner response, because ignorance is an inner thing. Ignorance is an essential element of this thing called faith. I wonder if you've thought about that. Now, if we're you know, teaching doctrine, if we're teaching theology, uh, we teach, and you may have learned that faith is comprised of three elements, knowledge, assent, and appropriation. And usually we uh, illustrate that by a chair. You know, you see a chair there, okay? Okay. We, we impart knowledge that this is a chair and what it's supposed to do. Many of us already know that, okay? But if you don't know it, okay, this is a chair. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to sit on it. Knowledge. And then we give assent to that. It says, okay, yes, I believe I can sit on that. I give my assent that uh, that is for sitting on and I could do that. And then we appropriate that and we, we move forward and we actually sit on the chair. And uh, this is a good... Example of faith, an expression of faith. Those three elements are, it's, it's all true. And yet faith in its operation has got to face up to the fact of its ignorance. You see, we need to acknowledge, what we need to acknowledge is we, we don't really know what's going to happen when we sit on that chair. We don't really know what's going to happen when we go into a tribal situation in Papua New Guinea don't really know what's going to happen when we visit an Indian village or when we go and knock on someone's door to share the gospel with them or when we try to initiate that conversation with someone at work or when we go and sit next to someone on that bench uh, with a goal of uh, sharing the gospel with them. We don't really know what's going to happen. We do know that God will help us. We do know that God has promised to help us. God has promised to do that. But we don't know what's going to happen when we share the gospel with someone. If we knew what was going to happen, then it wouldn't be faith, would it? We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. And it's crucial that we embrace this part of the life of what faith is. And that's why this account of Abraham is here. Abraham went out not knowing whither he was going. He was told the general direction, head that way. And so he went that way, but he didn't know exactly where he was going. And so the second illustration here of the inner response is we've got to accept our finiteness. We have to acknowledge our limitations, our inability, our ignorance. We've got to say, I don't know how this is going to go. And I don't need to know how it's going to go. If you've got to know how it's going to go, 
do you know where you're going to go? You're probably going to go nowhere. And you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to do nothing. Probably where you're going to go is just go home and what you're going to do is probably just turn on the TV, aimlessly channel surf or surf the internet or play video games and do something else just to waste your life. But if you're a person of faith and you don't need to know how it's going to go, then you live like a Christian and you can go, even if you are not sure how it's going to go, you can attempt some great thing for God. You can expect great things from God. But you don't know what God is going to do and you don't need to know. There's a third inner response we see here. Verse 10 tells us the reason Abraham lived in tents. The reason Abraham lived in tents was because he was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The third inner response is that of looking for a city. It's not Sydney, it's not Brisbane, it's not New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, London, Paris, Munich. It's heaven, a city whose builder and maker is God, which has got foundations that can never be shaken. Chapter 12, verse 28. Just flip over there. Chapter 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So faith, the response on the inside, as it considers all the unknowns of life, all the upheavals of life, all the uncertainty and the risks of life and what it means to follow Jesus, the risks involved in going to our neighbours and speaking up in the workplace or going into a hostile, hostile tribal situation like banks down central on a Thursday night. Faith has this in mind. There is a Heavenly city of God, a heavenly city that God is building that cannot be shaken and one day we will be there in the glorious new Jerusalem, we'll dwell there forever in peace and safety and joy, absolute perfection, undeniable glory, indescribable glory and since that is so, with God's help I will speak and I will share and I will witness, I will testify, we're going in. Maybe there'll be some casualties, usually there isn't a warfare. But I've got my eyes fixed upon heaven, looking for a heavenly city. The sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which waits in heaven. It's an inner response. Fourthly, how about Sarah? Verse 11. End of verse 11, she judged him faithful, that promise. When you look out over all the uncertainties that are coming to you tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, and as you contemplate acts of obedience to God that might be very, very risky, and you don't know what's going to happen, you do what Sarah did. You consider that God is faithful and that the life of faith, that's what the life of faith does. Even when things are very, very unexpected, even if things go in like unconventional ways. Now, I'm not just, this is not just missionary talk. 
This is Christian talk. Sometimes I think we get the notion that this kind of robust faith is just for missionaries. Uh, We read about it only in their biographies and as we read their biographies, we sort of wondering if this is actually factual or they're bordering on the fictitious. Seems so unreal to us. But this here wasn't written for missionaries. It was written to average struggling Christians, people just like us. What Christianity is, the daily movement into the realm of the unknown, calling us to consider the faithfulness of God while acknowledging our own ignorance. This is what the life of faith is. So here we've seen so far, first element, the word of God has been heard. Secondly, there's an inner response to that word of God. Responding in reverence, acknowledging our ignorance, our finiteness, looking towards heaven, longing for heaven, living for heaven, and reckoning upon the faithfulness of God to his promises, all inner responses. The third thing that we see here is that there's also then an outer response. The life of faith is lived, it is active. It results in things that people can see. Firstly, Noah built an ark. People could see it. Imagine the public ridicule. He built an ark to the saving of his house. Secondly, verse 8, Abraham left a secure family situation in Ur of the Chaldees. Why? Why would you do that? Thirdly, verse 9, Abraham chose to live in tents, Instead of building a nice, secure city for himself, he was a very, very wealthy man. He had the resources. It's almost like a bizarre thing to do. And then fourthly, Sarah, verses 11 and 12. Well, it doesn't say there what Sarah did. It talks about her faith. It talks about her reckoning on the faithfulness of God to deliver on his promises, and she acted in faith. What does that look like? What does an expectant mother do? Well, possibly she got the nappies ready, went and bought a stroller, and painted the room blue, as you do when you're expecting a baby boy. And at 90 years old, it wasn't an easy thing to do. People thought she must be crazy. What's she doing? So there it is, four outward responses. Now here's the point. Christians live differently than they would if they didn't believe in God. I mean, nobody builds an an ark in the desert unless... Nobody leaves a nice, secure, wealthy home situation in the Ur of the Chaldees to go who knows where unless... And no one chooses to live in tents when you've got the wherewithal to secure a build a city with walls that is you you don't do that unless and nobody at age 90 gathers nappies and buys a stroller for her her own baby unless the point of the passage is very clear if you believe in God if you trust in God if you are someone who walks by faith then you will do things in your life that cannot be accounted for 
any other reason than the fact of God has spoken and he's warned us and he's called us and he's promised us. We've heard him speak and, and as, as a response to that, a reverent response to that, we do what he says. If you believe in God and trust God, you will do things which cannot be accounted for or explained without God. So test yourself. Here's a little test. What are you doing with your life which, which makes absolutely no sense to the world and can only be explained by the fact that you're someone who walks with God and worships God and works for God, someone who believes in God? If there's nothing, okay, if there's nothing, then then be afraid. Be afraid. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asketh you a reason for the hope which is in you with meekness and fear. They should ask you. There's something about you that causes them to ask, Why are you like this? Why do you do this? Has anyone asked you recently? What's the thing in your life that's only can only be the, the answer to the question is, well, as a matter of fact, it's God. The message of Hebrews eleven is that faith in God first causes a revolution in values. Reverencing God, embracing our ignorance, our finiteness, seeking after heaven, reckoning God faithful, all inner responses. But then it unleashes what the world often calls foolishness because it makes absolutely no sense to them. Completely different set of values. But unfortunately the world doesn't often see this in the church in general these days because the church looks so much like the world. Where are the risks? You know, the, the ark building, those salvation enterprises just heavy investment in the, the gospel ministry that people can get saved. Risky business. Where's the, the leaving of certain things, the forsaking the comforts and securities of this life because we, we've got to focus on heaven. That's more important to us. Where are the, 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 the living intents, as it were, the self-denial, the living rather for another world, laying up treasure in heaven? Where where are the, the, the nappies, the things that we do in preparation for the nurture of souls, the, 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 the bringing them up in the things of the Lord, new believers? Where are the things that we do that can only be explained because we believe in God? What are we doing that would cause people to look at us and say, why are you doing that? What makes this guy tick? Wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's strange. Firstly, we have the word of God being heard. Then we have an inner response to that. Then we have an outer response. Fourthly, there is in every life of faith some reward now, but most of it later. Back in verse 6, it says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It says in verse 7 that Noah was saved together with his family through the ark. 
But notice that it's, what else it says? It says that he became an heir of the righteousness which is of God by faith. Noah is to this day still an heir of that which is for all those who have have obtained the righteousness of faith. Noah to this day hasn't come into his full inheritance yet. He was delivered from the flood. He received that blessing. But there is so much more that even Noah is yet to possess. He's an heir. Abraham, verse 8. He did find the promised land. Yes, he found it. He got there. God blessed him in it. He prospered immensely. But the verse says that he dwelt in tents. He dwelt in tabernacles. He lived in tents because he was looking for something bigger, something better, something further out, something way beyond anything he could ever have imagined on earth. He was looking for, by faith, a city like none other, which had a builder whose, a city whose builder and maker was God, verse 10. Verse 12 tells us that Sarah got her miracle baby. What a blessing. Isaac was born, but verse 12 describes a family described as vast, as the stars in the sky for multitudes and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Sarah saw none of that, though one day she will. Faith tastes some blessings now and knows that the majority of God's promises come true in their fullness later. Now let me show you where this is confirmed very, very clearly at the end of the chapter. Just look over to uh, chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. Chapter 11, verse 39. All... And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They were people of faith, they pleased God, but they, they didn't get it all. If they got it all themselves, if they have come into the full inheritance that is for the children of faith, then guess what? We'd miss out. If they've already come into the fullness of all that there is for those in faith, then we would be the ones missing out. And so they have to wait for us. And we could go on to say that we too must wait for others to be saved and to be gathered in our neighbours whose doors we knock on our work associates relatives that we've been praying for there is a time of evangelistic opportunity for the church until the Lord Jesus Christ returns at the rapture there's work to be done and when it's all done God will call time And then the Lord stands forth as our exceeding great reward and full blessing then, full joy then, fullness of the inheritance then, heavenly city then, ultimately coming down upon the earth then. 
And now though, but now though, even though the blessings in Christ and of faith are abundant, they're only partial. What we have now is only the first fruits. Every joy has its limits. Every fruit that we bear has some spot or bruise. Every relationship has its disappointments. Every endeavor has some skeptic. Every sermon have a critic. Every birth, every wedding is followed closely by a funeral. Look at chapter 13, verse 14, and we'll close. Chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You see, it wasn't only those on that side of the cross who have to wait until for the, for the full blessings to be realised. We, on this side of the cross, also have to wait. In other words, here and now, everything rusts, everything spoils, everything ages, everything rots, except one thing, God and his word. And the word of God, which God so faithfully has given to us and preserved for us in the scriptures, the word of God is vital to the life of faith. God has promised to preserve his word while ever we need it so that we'll have something upon which to base our faith for as long as we need it. And in it and through it we have everything that we need to go forward and obey the Lord in every respect, living out our faith, doing exactly what God calls us to do through his word. He's warned us, he calls us, he promises us. Everything rusts, everything spoils, everything will wear out. It's all running down before it ramps up. One day, one day soon, we'll enter into, all God's children will enter into the inheritance which is theirs in Christ. For now we walk by faith. We live by faith. That's what we're called to do. And the word of God will help us to do it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture, which was written specifically to the Hebrews, Christians who, having left Judaism, came to uh, understand what it mean, meant to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. And uh, for a time... Walking by faith, they endured that because they didn't mind losing their goods because they were persuaded that they had in heaven a better and enduring substance, greater riches in heaven for them who faithfully follow Christ. And yet, uh, Lord, it's, it's easy to grow weary in well-doing. Uh, there are many things that call us away from the pathway of faith. And, uh, Lord, even as chapter 11 was very, very helpful instruction to the original readers. Going back into the Old Testament, showing, uh, showing them that uh, this is the way it's always been for God's people. God's people have always been people of faith. And even as uh, this instruction is helpful to the original recipients, Lord, it's helpful for us as well, for us to realise that the pathway of faith that we walk upon has been 
walked on many people before. And they, indeed, were encompassed about with a greater cloud of witnesses who bear testimony to the fact that uh, they run the race of faith and now it's our turn to run the race of faith. And even as they were faithful, Lord, help us to be faithful as well. Looking unto Jesus, revealed to us in the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God, which reveals Christ to us as the object of our faith, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, help us to be found with the Bible open before our eyes. And uh, Lord, uh, reveal to us, speak to us through your word, we pray, and help us along the pathway of faith. Uh, Lord, we look forward to standing before you one day. We pray that we also would, like so many others, would receive a good report, having been people of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A final hymn, perhaps not so.